Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I am here with somebody I admire so much, Sean Provost. She is the founder and CEO of a company called Live Unbreakable. And Live Unbreakable focuses on changing your mindset to live a maintainable lifestyle by reframing your mindset around diet culture. Right, Sean? Is that, do I have that right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Sean is amazing. She is a certified personal trainer. She's a nutrition and gut health specialist. She's an Ironman triathlete. She is so physically fit and she is just doing really important work right now. And in just helping people think about food and fitness and all sorts of things differently so that they can achieve their goals in a really realistic and empowering way. And Sean, I would love for you to just give a broad overview of the work that you're doing right now. And we can jump in a little deeper from there. Wow. You make me sound really cool. Now I'm nervous to meet me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, no, you did a great job. Thank you so much for the intro. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I, struggled a lot with my own health and fitness for a really long time. And I just wish that no one ever has to go through that. And so the basis of Live Unbreakable was kind of breaking through that barrier of what everyone considers diet culture that's shoved down our throats every single day. And, you know, even things that we don't necessarily know are attributed to diet culture that really have a powerful impact on us and how we live our lives. And the work I do with my clients right now really focuses on changing and reframing their mindset to, you know, know, be open to experiences with food and fitness that maybe they were closed off to or didn't consider before. So here's just a question. Do you only work with women? (laughs) No, I work with everybody. (laughs) That (laughs) is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think I started working with women because I thought it would be more impactful from my side, because I've been in their shoes before, but then I realized on a very basic level, humans are all just experiencing life, right? And sometimes that is really great. And sometimes it's not so great, but the struggles we go through are so similar. Even if our hormones are different, our our experiences are so similar. And that's really where I started to, um, I mean, just kind of dive into nutrition in a new way. That's amazing. So your clients right now, like, so I guess here's, here's, let me rephrase (laughs) right now, (laughs) right now. Um, you were talking about the myths associated around diet culture. So when clients come to you, what are the main things that you see as complete misconceptions that people are, are viewing around diet culture that they believe to be true, that are actually complete bullshit? 
The biggest one that I hear is failure and fear of failure. So getting on a diet and not being able to stick to it or, you know, going on this diet cycle and it's like, okay, well, if you're on a diet cycle, it's not working. If you have to get back onto a diet, then it's not working for you. And everyone's just like, oh no, it's fine. Because, you know, I love being on a diet for nine months out of the year. Like, but if the diet worked, you wouldn't have to go back on it. You would just always be able to maintain Um, And I think the other ones, and I kind of started this with, you know, the question of if I only work with women, if, you know, diet culture only affects women, and then they feel they're being targeted, but it really is just human to human kind of issues that we're dealing with. So everyone struggles with body dysmorphia or body image. And those are the things that we really dive into and say, you know, like, what are the ideas that you have around your body that you think other people think about you? Because I promise they don't think about it. <laughs> they don't spend nearly as much time thinking about you as you think that they do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Everybody has that. Everybody thinks, I think people in general just like to internalize and think that everybody is looking at them. And I see this a lot with, I see this a lot with people that struggle in other areas, but what it really is, is the mindset of, it's really just an insecurity in yourself, I think. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting. I want to go back to, Okay, well, I like to be on a diet nine months out of the year. I I don't really know what, I don't know your clients, but I do know the sorts of people that I'm working with and the people that I work with, um, with changing mindsets and, you know, helping people shift their mindsets when they have issues with their body image, it's because they're, most of them are overweight. Most of them are not fit. Right. And I don't know, like, well, I guess what I'm, what I'm going to what I'm asking is, are your clients mainly very fit or are they the opposite? Like, are they very overweight or is it kind of a mix? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And totally fair. I think the majority of my clients, it's a mix. I have some that are really, really strong and super fit, but they're struggling with gut health issues because, you know, they've been either, you know, on such a strict and restrictive diet due to allergies or maybe due to their training regimen. And then I have clients who are overweight and looking to lose weight. And they're just literally here to learn more about nutrition, understand their body, think about what comes next. And then I have people who are kind of in the middle who are dealing with a little bit of gut health issues, trying to find that, that balanced weight, that lifestyle that they want, where they have the right body, but they're not working too hard at it. And they're not counting macros every day, but they want to look at in a bikini and you know, I enjoy working with all of them because the challenge is always the same. It's always them understanding their body better and being able to move forward in some sort of more directed mindset. Okay. That's perfect. That's, that's actually kind of like, that's kind of what I was hoping that you would say, because I think that a lot of times people, well, it's true because people really view nutrition as, you know, that I was very overweight for a while people view nutrition and their bodies as something that they constantly have to be tackling as an issue. Like, Oh, this is something I need to work on. And in reality, it's just about nourishing and feeding your body, like, Mm -hmm. and making sure that you're taking care of it. And what do you think is, is the reason why we as a society can't teach that and that we don't teach that early. And that all of these people come of age thinking that we, that they have to, that it's always a problem to be fixed. Cause I sure as fuck thought that. So, and I know that <laughs> every woman I know has thought that, you know, I don't, yeah. I mean, men too, but most more. Women. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I, you know, it really does come down to the, when you think about the way that we socialize, right. And the way that we raise children. And I use we very loosely because I don't have any children. Um, <laughs> and to my knowledge, you don't either. Um, but in society in general, there's an expectation that girls dress or look like girls when they're little so that, you know, oh, you have such a beautiful baby girl or, oh, you have such a handsome young boy, right? That idea then just expands. Like girls are supposed to look like girls. And what does supposed to look like mean? It, they're pretty, they wear makeup, they have dresses on, they have a certain shape. And the further you go down that path, the more words and structure there is to define what it means to be female or feminine, even if you're not drawn to that gender, if you're trying to be more feminine, you should be looking like this, right? And a lot of the issues I have in the LGBTQ community um, for clients is that they have to fit a certain stereotype of being flat. So like a board, you know, shoulders to hips to feet. And that way you can't tell what gender they are. And that struggle, while different than what typical men or typical, and I use very loose air quotes here, is they all have a stereotype in a box that they're trying to fit themselves into for someone else. It's always for someone else. It's never for themselves. They don't want to look like that. They want to be able to have the body that they want and not have to put themselves into that sort of stereotypical box. And looking at the way that everybody interacts with them is how they get the idea of that box. We always look at each other. That's the first impression that we have of anybody. And they want their first impression to be, I don't know what gender you are, or I do want to know what gender you are. So I have to look a certain way. Oh, that's fascinating. And I, that's really, really important. And do you, do you have a lot of clients that are, that are LGBTQIA or you do? I do. You do. Wow. Um, that was, I have a lot of, I have, I have a lot of gay friends and that's a thing, especially like here in New York, it's Mm -hmm. okay. Like I have to look a certain way. I have to present as a certain way. And I think that a lot of gay men here in New York, there's a lot of insecurity around the fact that they don't present. Like if you're, if you, if you just like, look like what you would look like as a cisgender heterosexual man half the time is not acceptable for a mm-hmm. gay man to, and in in that community and i have uh-huh. a lot of a lot of friends that struggle with that and how do you if you were going to have a client come to you and t- and say something to you about that what would you say to them knowing that you're fighting not necessarily fighting against but knowing that you're operating in the parameters of i want to take care of my body i want to be healthy I also want to be able to fit in and feel sexually attractive, even though, of course, they're going to be sexually attractive. But how do you what would you say or do or advise or what would be the process there? I love this question because it focuses so much less on everyone thinks that it has to be a certain diet lifestyle look. And this conversation inevitably ends in the vibe and the energy that that person has. So that's where mindset and reframing work really comes into play because now we're not focusing on what everybody else is saying, what everybody else is doing, what the medical industry thinks we need to be doing. We're just focusing on up here, your brain and how you function and making you comfortable with where you are, but also understanding it's okay if other people don't get that. 
making your vibe and getting your energy to a place where you don't have to think about it anymore. It's not what energy do I enter this room with? It's this is my energy and I'm so excited to share it with other people and see what they have as a response. Oh, I love that. I love that. I always told that. Right? I, I always it's so much more that. approachable. <laughs> but it is though, because I think that people are absolutely attracted to another person's energy. I think I said this at another, at another podcast where I said to somebody, mm-hmm. like, do you think anybody is even paying attention? Like in the short term, like sure, somebody will look and say, wow, that is a very physically attractive person. Mm-hmm. I mean, but in the long term, that doesn't sustain. Like you, yeah. you can think someone's sexually attractive, but it's okay. So you're going to think they're sexually attractive for two weeks, but it's not sustainable in terms of long-term happiness. I mean, what people are really attracted to is you. Like- exactly. Yes. And what you think about the world and how you're expressing yourself and how you choose to express that to other people. Like that's all under your control. You can never change society as just one person, right? You can start a movement. You can make people think about things differently, but you can't ever change somebody else's up here. You have to want to do it to yourself first and then understand that is kind of this like forward rolling snowball down a hill. So if you can change how you see yourself and your energy and get that ready for other people, you've already mastered 90% of anything we could talk about. (laughs) Do you, when people come to you and, and you start doing this work, what are some like initial steps that you start taking with them to start working on this? It usually involves some tears, which is okay because it is breaking down internal barriers and it's really understanding where you are right now, not where you think you are, not where you want to be, but where you are right now and identifying the obstacles and the blockers and the barriers in your way, whether that's what you were told when you were a child or someone recently said to you in a relationship or something that you studied online yourself and you did your own research. And now that's like a truth for you. And really getting to the bottom of what your thought process is right now and where we want it to be down the road. So once we know where we are, then we can start to lay the bricks to kind of get that path laid out. Okay. Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. There's so much here. There's so much here. I, I don't want to be vague. That's like, I know that you had a very pointed question. I made it very vague, but I think that's what makes it so unique to every single person is that the problem, while the overarching idea is the same, right? We're uncomfortable in our body or we want to change our energy. Every single person has a different founding belief that makes them feel the way they feel. And that's so different that I can't put a blanket. This is going to be the first step without saying the first step is actually just finding out where you are. And then we find out what the the next step is. No, I love it. I I love that you said (laughs) this. And this is the thing. This is why I, I'm so excited that you said that because I have a thing about how, and this isn't just me. I think that this is you. This is every single person that does this work in that people right now in this immediacy of American culture, we were, we're like a symptom solution kind of society where people want the solution. I want you to hand me a checklist of seven things that I can do today and mm-hmm. I'm going to be fixed by next week. That's right. just not a thing. Yeah. Like you let can't... me swipe and I'll be fine. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's another thing about it is that you can't, how can you do that? And when mm-hmm. you said your question, the question, the, sorry, the response was purpose, purposefully, God, Andy can't speak today. Purposefully <laughs> vague. Thank you. Thank you. Cause I, I yeah. see that a lot with people 
I see that a lot with people, especially even people that are that are trying drink less or stop drinking. Well, what can I do? Well, you can throw away the, you can throw the alcohol away. Like you can go, you can go do that. Like if you're overweight, you can go throw the cookies away. That doesn't, that's not going to do shit for you. Like, I mean, I can give you a checklist. I can give you a, okay. Like I can follow this to the letter, but that, what is that going to do for you? Like you as a human, I don't know. Nothing. Like I can, as a nutrition specialist, as a gut health specialist, I can give you a checklist of things that are hurting your gut that can help you get back on track, probiotics and supplements that will get you there. But until you change your mind and your mindset around everything that we're doing, this is only a temporary solution. Yes, you're going to see results, but you'll never be quote unquote addicted to that lifestyle until you realize that that's the only lifestyle that you're meant to live. Like this is your truth. And you've been trying so hard to cram yourself into this hole. You're a square peg going into a round and you're just trying to like hammer it in and it's never going to work because that's not how your body functions. That's never going to be how your body functions. So you just have to figure out what's stopping you from figuring out the next step. What's I can give you a meal prep plan, but you, and you can follow it, but you're always going to have that craving for something sweet afterwards until we figure out what's causing that craving. And after we figure that out, we can start to train you out of it. So I have a, I have this, this comes up a lot with my clients in that they are habitual dieters, calorie counters. And I I don't know if this is just bullshit or not. And it might be bullshit. It might be Andy Scarantino bullshit, (laughs) but I, I, I I wrote about I wrote about somebody that I know in an email. It's not a client. So I, I you know, so I can, I can write about a friend, you know, yeah, that's wrote, fine. No that's violation. Fine. Um, but I wrote about a, a friend of mine who has been a habitual calorie counter for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe longer mm-hmm. and, and cannot lose weight. And I said, and my advice was stop counting calories. And mm-hmm. they're like, but, but, but I have to, how am I going to lose weight? And I'm like, even though you, Yes, the science is that operating at a calorie deficit means you will lose weight. You psychologically can't let go of this weight because of your constant living in this level. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I this person believes that I'm full of shit and I and I I would love to be able to confidently tell I would love to be able to confidently tell clients, I would love to confidently tell people that listen to the podcast that are struggling with their bodies, that if you are operating at a calorie deficit for 10 years and you are still overweight, something else has to change. Is this correct? Or am I just a hundred percent? Yes. No, you are accurate. You are a hundred back to my science. Like you are so on the money right now. And there's like, there's a couple of things that go into it. Right. So the first one is that if you're operating at a calorie deficit for longer than X amount of time. And it's different for everyone, but 10 years is insane. You, at some point, it might you just be fine. Operate. I mean, I don't know. It's I a mean, long time. Longer a long than time. six months, realistically, is too long. And, you know, like for any number of years, oh my gosh, this poor girl or guy, oh my gosh. Um, but when you're, so to lose weight, you do have to be at a, at a caloric deficit. That's, that's the science. That's the money. Right. But you also can't just do it without a fitness side of it. So even if you're just going for a walk with a friend or something three times a week for 30 minutes, that's enough, but you also want to take into account what you're doing in your day to day and also the fuel that you're putting into your body. So if you are operating at a 300 calorie deficit, but you're eating crap 
you're probably not going to lose weight anyways, because of the fuel you're putting into your body. You can't turn that into energy fast enough or in the right way to operate well, right? Uh, also at a caloric deficit, if it's too high, you're now keeping your body from doing a number of processes that it needs to do on a daily basis. Just like if you're not sleeping, you're never giving your brain a chance to rest. Your brain needs to rest. So if you are not eating well, you're probably not sleeping well. You're not giving your brain enough time to recover. You're not giving your body enough time to recover. And so you're on this downward spiral where your body, there's science now that says there is no survival mode, but I think that's, you know, that's neither here nor there, but if you're operating at a low caloric um, diet and you're also kind of pushing yourself to the limit with stress. And then you have your work and you're exercising. You're never going to lose weight because your body wants to keep fats and energy inside. So it just shuts down other processes. Because and it that's has why to keep itself alive. Exactly. It you has to, to, you have has to nourish to it. Yes. Yes. Because exactly. if it does something, I used to be this way where I, I mean, yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't 50 pounds overweight because I ate well, let's be honest. But (laughs) I mean, but at the same time I found, and I still find, and this is another thing that I think people don't realize that the quality of calories matter. And I'm not certified in these things, but I do just know my own body. Like when you have a body that struggles to be thin and fit for 30 years and all of a sudden you realize, oh shit, if I just put food into my body that it asks for, I can just live a regular life and not have to worry about my weight. And I say this to people and they're like, but wait, but wait, 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 wait. There's gotta be a, there's gotta be a catch. And I'm like, there's no catch. There's no, (laughs) that's, that's what the $72 billion diet industry wants you to think is that there's some sort of catch. If you just eat well and you just exercise daily, that's it. That's all you have. There's no catch. Does it suck sometimes? Yeah, but that's literally all you have to do. There are nutrient dense foods, there are nutrient lacking foods. And if you fill up on nutrient lacking foods, you're never going to have the energy to exercise and you're stuck in that cyclical dieting style. $72 billion. Mm-hmm. $72 billion. Mm-hmm. It's probably more at this point by now. That's a little outdated, but yeah, I mean, $72 billion at least. I remember I did, you did an Instagram post when you were doing your, I can't, I can't for a podcast describe what this looks like. It's kind of like she has these boards where she would put, how do you, you know, the ones that you used to do like every third, po- how would you just, yeah. yeah, she yeah. did one. Sean did one of these that said 1200 calories is what a toddler needs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's accurate. <laughs> it was my favorite. And, and aforementioned friend reached out to me, uh, who's never going to listen to this podcast. You know, it's such a shame. The people that should listen to my podcast are the ones that don't. Oh, that's <laughs> but, so frustrating. Yeah. And, you know, but like, who's never going to listen to this and wrote, or me. And I, and I was like, or not you, or not you. Not you. you, you not, not you. you. No. Not you. Oh, <laughs> you, you, no. need tw- you need 2,400 calories a day. Like you don't need two, 1,200 calories a day. You need you need over 2000 calories every day. You got to keep, keep your body alive. Plus, you know, if you're doing like, if you're allegedly burning five to 600 calories and exercise every day, but then you're not losing weight, people will be like, well, why? It's like, well, Mm -hmm. are you eating Ritz crackers all day long? Like, what do you think? Where do you, I don't understand. What do you think the disconnect is with people in that they can't understand or grasp how, things that come from boxes that will, will 
not mold or or that will still be like the apocalypse could happen. And three years from now, a loaf of Wonder Bread will look the exact same way as it did today. And it will three years from now. How do people think that that's nourishing their bodies? Do you where do you think this comes from? Where do you think that it's it's not taught? Where do you think like people are not grasping? Hey, if this comes from a package and has 35,000 ingredients in it, it probably isn't nourishing for my body. Where does I think about this all the time? And the closest I can get, I was having a conversation with a client the other day and I was like, why don't you buy fresh fruit? She only buys frozen fruits and veggies to put in smoothies or to eat. Like she loves frozen strawberries in her cereal. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, why don't you, this is strawberry season. This is the summer. This is a great time to have fresh fruits and veggies, which have more nutrients than frozen, not by a lot, but by enough. And she was like, well, they mold. Okay. If you don't eat them fast enough, for sure they do. But the only reason the frozen ones aren't is because you're keeping them in the freezer. So why don't you cut up some good strawberries that are fresh and then put them in the freezer? And she's like, no, they'll, they'll still mold. They'll get wet. So I think from that conversation, extrapolating that because these foods from boxes never mold and there's never an issue with them, they just don't have to think about it. People are lazy inherently and they don't want to put the extra effort in. So buying the wonder breads of the world and buying the crackers that never mold, they're just, they think that's better for them because they don't have mold and they don't age and they don't have that gross whatever after five days. It's, it's weird in American society, not weird, in American society, the first time I ever went overseas, I studied abroad in, in undergrad for six months. I was, I studied in London and I remember I bought a loaf of bread and it, and it was, it was starting to spoil after just a couple of days. And I never realized the amount of preservatives that we put in food here oh, in the United so disgusting. States. Oh, it's awful. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I was thinking about, I go to Trader Joe's. And I think, you know, and most of the listeners know by now that I live in an apartment without a kitchen. So like things are <laughs> challenging. Yes. <laughs> things are challenging. So I'll, but I if you to- can do it. Anyone can do it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and you know what? I'm really healthy, um, but I do like for hard boiled eggs, I got to go buy those somewhere so I can go to the deli where they hard boiled the eggs themselves, or I can go to Trader Joe's and I'll buy the bag of six hard boiled eggs. And I think to myself, when I, when I get the bag of six hard boiled eggs from Trader Joe's. I'm like, okay, those, these are good for a month. That, that doesn't seem right. You know, like it just doesn't seem right that like, it doesn't, none of that seems right. And I, how do we get people (laughs) to think about that? Like, how do we get people to think that, and you know, you, you live in North Carolina. Like, obviously this is probably more common for people in North Carolina to do than people here in, in New York city, but people in America, especially in the suburbs or smaller cities will eat fast food. Mm-hmm. What what's going on? Like, how do you, how are you not terrified when you see those experiments oh. on McDonald's food that they're still, it's still intact 20 oh. years? Yeah. You- Cause they're too busy watching funny TikToks. They don't even see the gross ones. They're like, no, I'll just get by that. That's not real. <laughs> That's not happening. Like, no, it is. That's disgusting. That Big Mac from last year looks exactly the same as the one from two years ago or three years ago. There's no difference because there's not real things in it. That's <laughs> not gross. But so I saw a meme the other day on, on Facebook and I'm going to share this out because I think it's so important. People are so concerned about eating meat now, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, it's the worst. They have so many additives or hormones or whatever it is. But if you look at a package of like Beyond Burger and a package of just burgers, 
there's one ingredient on the burgers list, just one. Mm -hmm. And if you buy the grass fed and finished and organic beef, that's, you know, that's awesome. There's only one thing in there. There's no hormones. And then you look at the beyond beef burger and it has like soy lecithin and like breadcrumbs and mushroom something, and then some sort of extract. And like the list is like 20 things long and I get it. It's a veggie burger. There should be fresh veggies in it, but then there's all this list of things that sulfites and all these other things in it to keep it looking like a burger. That's not how vegetables look. <laughs> it's biz- okay. It's bizarre. This is so important. I don't know if you follow, I forget the name of the person. I know their, their Instagram handle. Do you follow sustainable dish? Yes. Okay. This is, they talk about this a lot. And this is something that I, I researched the science of impossible meat and beyond meat when it first came about, because I was like, Mm -hmm. how the fuck do they do this? And for everybody that's listening, they were able to find the part of the soybean plant that has the heat, something that resembles hemoglobin in blood, and then Mm -hmm. was able to, in a lab, multiply that so that they could make the soy product look like it's bleeding in a lab. Mm-hmm. How in the hell does anybody <laughs> think that eating Yum. that <laughs> yeah. is better than just eating beef? Now I get it. I get the I get the environmental. I understand. I understand the implications for the right. environment with beef. Absolutely. I, understand. I yes. get it. I get it. But if you can think that impossible or beyond meat is better for your body, like you, you know, you have issues. Like what? Yeah, no, you, that's some hardcore isolation that you're doing on that science because that is no, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, and so I, tell I, me. I, oh, go ahead. Go. No, you please, please, please. Uh, going back to a client conversation from the other day, we were talking about exactly this. She loves protein bars. She thinks protein bars are the end all be all. That's all she wants after workouts. Um, her and her husband both actually. And I was telling her that there's not a really good balance of carb and protein in a protein bar. There's just not because it doesn't taste good. People would never buy it. They won't eat it. What you should be doing is having whole foods after. And, you know, we had this conversation, her husband tried it for, you know, a month and he saw more gains than she did. And he used gains very loosely, but they're looking for muscle growth. And she didn't, she was so mad. And she was like, well, it's because, you know, I had my period or whatever. And I was like, no, that's not it. Like, that you guys change one thing very drastically. It was one versus another. And then she started having all of these kind of gut health issues um, after she switched to a vegan bar, which she was, she thought she was allergic to whey. So we switched her to a vegan protein bar and she's actually allergic to one of the additives that's in that bar. So she's having all of these gut health issues now because of the other processed thing. And I was like, you switch from one processed food to another processed food and look where you're at way further behind than where we wanted to be further behind compared to your husband, because you're not giving yourself again, that nutrient density that your body needs to recover well and be able to build muscle from. So what's the resistance to just eating food? Like what's the resistance? Like what is the resistance? I, I experience it with clients and again, I'm not even really necessarily coaching people in nutrition, but a lot of, but I work with a client right now and it's, you know, a lot of people come to me because let's face it. You look at my Instagram. I used to be fat. So, you know, your transformation, <laughs> I want to know the secret. I want to know the secret. Like the secret is there's no secret. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. This, and I wish that people understood, like, I'm not giving anything away on this podcast that I wouldn't tell people in my one-on-one either. And it's just literally, it's just following consistency in whole foods. That's what you have to do. Like, that's the secret. There is no secret. What we've been saying this whole time and what doctors have been saying, what, you know, it's just, it's as simple as that. You just have to be consistent with it. People are so scared. What happens if it doesn't work? Well, what you're doing right now isn't working either. So what's stopping you from trying this? You dive headfirst into all of these diets. Try this. If I label it a diet, will you do it? <laughs> I wonder though, like, I wonder about that because I was going to talk about somebody that, you know, former client, um, somebody I worked with for a little while, but, uh, you know, it was one of my clients who was kind of, I, I did a couple of round of beta testers. So all, you know, all of the, my original clients were only with me for a couple of, couple of weeks. A couple of eight weeks, eight weeks at a time. And uh, one of my clients, um, I decided to do a water fast. I decided to do a water fast for three days because I was curious about cellular autophagy. I don't have, I'm not a diet culture kind of person. So I knew very well what would happen on this water fast. I was going to feel like shit. I was going to be hungry the whole time. And I was going to probably lose a little bit of weight and then immediately gain it back. I knew that. Yep. Yep. I knew that. That was what was Go going to happen. It. Yep. The that feel like shit part should be like highlighted and there should be a lot of exclamation points on either side. They don't feel, <laughs> feel like shit. Feel like <laughs> shit. Yeah. It was horrible. It was yeah. horrible. I might do one a year, maybe, but I, I really, I really hated it. I, I did it because a friend of mine touted that this was the greatest thing and he does it like once a year. And I was like, well, you know, I got to be as tough as him. So let's, I'm going to go do this right <laughs> So <laughs> three days, why not? <laughs> I know. And then of course, and then motherfucker, let me tell you about this motherfucker by like the, like we're coming up on day three and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to tell him about it. He's like, well, you know, by day four. And I'm like, I'm only doing three days. And like, I do five days. And I'm like, fuck you, man. Oh, so, no. <laughs> oh, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. But anyway, he, uh, but, but what am I going back to this client also decided to do a fast at around the same time. And I could, a former client, and I could just tell that this person was thinking about it in a very different way than I did. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times people do these fasts or cleanses and they have this mindset of, oh, this is going to be the thing that's going to get me to lose that few pounds. And it's like, why yeah. does everything have to be like that? Like, why yes. does, why does your brain go there every time? Like, this is going to be the thing. And I was thinking about this today when I was actually running intervals on the track, believe it or not, I was thinking about the high is in the ordinary. Like, I think you, you and I may have talked about this before. The high is in the yep. ordinary. The high is in the, that every day is just doing it process every day. Like the mm -hmm. high isn't going on some weird ass thing. Like, like I think half the time, and maybe you can agree, maybe you'll disagree. I would love to know actually how you feel about it. Do you think that these things that people are like, do you think it's an addiction to trying something new? Yes. I don't even think it's something new. I think honestly, it comes the, it's, it's the addiction of control and very loosely, your friend with the macronutrients, right? Who tracks them all the time. That's control. That's her way of controlling. And even though it's not getting her the results that she wants, she doesn't care 
because the control is there. So if she can just control those last five or 10 pounds, then now it's proven that even though for 10 years it didn't work, this one week it really worked and she lost the other five pounds, right? But, and it's the same thing for any of these other things, ketones or doing cleanses or the water fast, it's control. Being able to say, well, I can't control these other things in my life, but I can control what goes into my body. And when, when I talk to people about water fast and I use it very loosely, especially if they're gonna go onto a ketogenic diet because it was recommended and prescribed by a doctor, just so we're all clear. Um, when they're going into it, you have to start with a water fast. That's literally how you get into ketosis and talking to them about it. They're like, well, you know, it's, it's going to be great because I'm going to lose weight. Like, but, and you're, you're diagnosed with a medical condition that says you need to go on a keto diet and you're still thinking about losing weight. Why? Control. It's all about the control and saying, well, now I'm going to feel so much better. I'm going to look better because you know, I, I did the water fast and now I get to control everything about it. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how well that works. That's fascinating. Oh my yeah. God. Can you talk more on that? Or is there anything? Yeah. I think when, when you start thinking about, and I guess this is like the reframing that I do a lot of, right? Because when we, when I finally get a client to admit that it is about the control there's a light that turns on and they're like, you know what? It does make sense because on the days where you feel out of control, your work is super busy and you don't have time to have lunch. Well, you do, but you're not prioritizing that because you think other people are expecting something of you. You have meetings or deadlines or whatever it is. You don't have control over that, or you think you don't have control over that. So then you have to control other areas of your life. Maybe you don't get to control when your kids go to school. You don't get to control what you do on your weekend with your spouse, but you 100% get to control when you sit down to eat, what's on that plate, whether everyone else around you is doing it or not. And more often than not, especially with women, Women and my female clients, they're using it as a means of control to see the outcome on their body. So the water fasts, they see their cheekbones are more defined. That's more effeminate. Or they see, you know, their rib cage through their chest, right? And they think that's great. Or they see their collarbone more, which is really just how your skeleton is built. Like you have a stronger collarbone than I do. That's fine. Like I'm not, I'm not going to look like that. Right. Yeah. But the control of, well, I can get my body to look that way. If only I can control what I put into it is so pervasive. And the acceptance of it though, the acceptance of it, because yes, I, I do. I also have like, I have an enormous rib cage. It's enormous. Okay. It's like, and I, you know, I, I, and I think I might've even talked to you about this before. Like it's enormous. It is the, it is the, the sickest rib cage. Like this is probably why I, I'm, I ran, I run so well after smoking for 18 years because it's just a big lungs. I was a trumpet player. Like, yeah, they're big. Boom. They're, they're big motherfuckers. And I just, at some point in my life had to accept like, this is what my body looks like. And mm-hmm. my body isn't going to look like Sean's body. My body isn't going to look like anybody's body. And I'm not going to have these, this, I'm, I'm an apple. I gain weight here. I mean, and I was really heavy once, so I have extra skin mm-hmm. here and I can either accept that the extra skin is there, or I can go hate myself for the rest of ever. Yep. But if you hate yourself, you're not going to even take care. You're not going to take care of your body. Your body's going to keep being, being a piece of shit to you because you're being a piece of shit to it. I mean, there's no sustainability. Yeah. 
And still the control, right? You can't control that that skin is there. You can control your thought process around it. If you hate it, you're always going to be uncomfortable. You're always going to be stressed and strained. You're always going to think about it in a bikini, a dress, when you're out on a date, whatever. But you, if you control your mindset around it and reframe and say, this is a reminder to myself of the hard work that I have put in to get to a place where I am comfortable in my body. I am so lucky. I am so blessed. I am so grateful that I am in a situation where I could make those changes. And now I get to see how far I've come. This is a reminder of how much effort I have put in. That's so much more powerful than, well, I hate my skin because it, I look fat here or this dress will never look good on me. That's, that's not doing anything but hurting yourself and putting yourself down when you could be feeling so much more confident and positive in your day-to-day life. And you know what? That's another thing I wanted to bring up because this is going to, this is actually going to seem like it's not related because my brain is connecting like three different things, but the podcast listeners are going to be like, Andy, where the hell are you pulling this from? But going back, <laughs> that's my daily. <laughs> it, it is though, but going back to live unbreakable, there's a huge part of your, of your business and your coaching that deals with mental tenacity and deals with reframes around these areas, which is ridiculously important. And Mm -hmm. it's not treating symptoms and it's not changing somebody's fitness or diet, but it's about that other whole part, the mindset part, which is so important, which is something that I love so much, which is, I just admire the hell out of you for doing the work. And when, what are like some strategies that you use with your clients to get them to start stepping into that space of changing their mindset around I am beautiful. I accept myself for who I am because that's hard to get people to do. Mm -hmm. It really just depends on the client and what motivates them, if they're internally or externally motivated. And one of my favorite, favorite stories ever is when I was coming in as a new nutrition coach, I had created my 12 week program. I was super jazzed about it. Like couldn't wait to do it. Gave it to three of my friends as like a, Hey, we're going to meet weekly. Can you just give me feedback on this? Right. And I didn't know how much of an impact it was going to have on any of the three of them. And now I think looking back, we can all agree it was such an integral part. It was kind of during COVID. So it was an integral part of how we became closer friends, how they think about life, all this other stuff, right? But this one client, I was so sure she was set in her ways, right? She would only drink on weekends. You know, she was really clean eating, super great on fitness, Monday to Friday. And then like Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, kind of ridiculous. And then Sunday was like a recovery day, right? We're like no workouts. So we're resting, but like our food was off. So now we're restricting all day. And then Monday we get back to like, you know, or, or on Sunday, we would stop restricting. We would just like eat all these burgers and whatever, because that's, we've already thrown out three days. Why not, why not throw out this one? Right. And we had a conversation. Um, I was kind of nervous about it and I would go back and forth like, all right, well, what do you think is going to be better? Do you think we should, you know, like eat more calories on Sunday or should we, you know, like maybe introduce things during the week? And then I just sat down with her one day and like, I was just having a day and I had the clients that were really struggling that day. And so I was like burnt out and she wanted to meet a day early. So we did. And I sat down and she was like, well, I had like, you know, 900 calories today. I'm feeling really good. I'm like, that is not enough calories. And I sat down, I yelled at her. I was like, this is insane. Like you are such a good athlete. You are so smart. You have so many people relying on you for your job and your day to day. You are a smart girl. Why is this so hard for you? And she was like, I, um, I was like, this is insane. Do you listen to yourself right now? You are restricting so much. You have half the calories that you need, right? We went down this road, I yelled at her a week later. 
she was like, I can't believe you, you yelled at me last week. And I was like, yeah, but looking at your food diary, it worked, huh? And she was like, yeah, I can't believe I was doing that either. So like this whole time I was being so gentle and nice and like white gloving her when all she really needed was for me to give her some sort of mean, tough love. Oh, it's Finnegan. <laughs> it's Finnegan and a puppy on babysitting. I'm sorry, everyone. That's okay. Everybody gets to... Sean has a wonderful, wonderful dog named Finnegan who I've met. He's huge. I don't know about he's the losing puppy. weight right now. Okay. Is he's he? losing weight. Yes. He's 101. We're trying to get him to 95. Well, I, I wish him luck on his weight loss journey. Maybe his mindset needs to shift a little bit around his food, but <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. Um, but but yeah, this I client, mean- but you yelled at your client. And you know, yeah. that's, that's important. Cause I'll tell you what, this is something for me that has been difficult. So I'm actually excited that we're talking about this and that we're talking about it publicly. I have always been a tough love motherfucker. I've always been like, <laughs> fuck, you know, like this. Yes. I am a tough love motherfucker. Yeah. And then I started accepting money from people to help Mm -hmm. them. And when you're accepting money from people, you feel like you don't want to upset them. And Mm -hmm. so while the tough love is still there, I sometimes struggle with being as tough as I used to be when I was just doing this for free for the friends of mine, you know, because friends of mine that I'm doing it for free for, I'd be like, Listen, motherfucker, like you are <laughs> do an the idiot. thing, do yeah, the exactly. fucking thing, just fucking do it. And so that's, you know, this is kind of a good outlet for me on the podcast to be able to say, like, give me advice, Sean, like, give me advice about what, tell me why I should continue to be that tough motherfucker, like in how necessary it is. It's inherently you to be that person. And that's your brand. Your brand is being not aggressive, but that tough love and saying like, Hey, you're really tenacious as a person, as a coach, that's who you are in your life and your goals. And that's your brand. So when someone comes to you and they're giving you money they're not saying, Hey, can you nicely tell me how to live my life, please? Because I'm struggling. They're saying, this is the kind of energy I need in my life. Give it to me full force. I'm so willing to give you my money to be that person to me. And I, I still need that reminder sometimes too, but literally when people give you their money, that's more reason to act like yourself because they're paying you to be you. They're paying you yeah. for your knowledge. They're paying you for the outcome they're expecting from you based on what they know about you. And they want the kick in the ass. They want Absolutely. somebody to kick their ass down the street when they're not. Accountability. Yes. If I text you, yell at me. That's what I want. That's what I expect. Like, I don't expect someone like laid back to be like, yeah, well, you know, you missed your check-in this week. That's okay. I want to be like, where the fuck were you this week? Why didn't you show up? What's wrong with you? What's going on? Like, talk to me about it. Tell me what happened in your mind and your life that made you skip today. Why wasn't it important enough? You know? And that, I mean, that's, that's literally the mental tenacity comes from knowing that you aren't where you're supposed to be and wanting to be somewhere else so badly that you're willing to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. That's it. Absolutely. You were the one that introduced me to the concept of returning to your why. And I, I still use that because I always kind of knew that that was what I always knew that there was a bigger why, but just to say it that way, your why. And when you're talking about a person, if a person, like if a client comes to you and doesn't know their why, how would you be able to advise them in a, in a direction for they could find it? Like what, where would you tell them to look? 
or what to do? The first thing is deciding where value and passion intersect in your life. So where do you think you're adding value and where are you passionate when that value is demonstrated? So I have a client right now who's struggling with this, who doesn't think that they're adding value to anyone's life, including their own, which is really hard to hear as a coach, right? I care about this person very deeply and I want to be able to help. So every week when we meet, I didn't add value this week. My first question is always, okay, that's fine. Like, let's just catch up. Let's get, let's start over, right? No matter where we are in the session, we just started, it's almost the end. Let's talk about this week. And then inevitably they start talking about some situation that they enjoyed. They went out to dinner or, you know, they were, had a phone call with a friend. They're like, yeah, it was really great because, you know, we got to catch up and I haven't talked to them since college or whatever it is. I'm like, that's value add in your life. You added value to someone else. And you were, you're passionate enough to tell me about it. So that's an intersection, write it down. And I want you to remember that next time you don't think you add value. And every week we've been adding at least one and we go over every single one that we've had so far. So I think we're in week seven now and we have seven examples and we're adding every week. We read through every single of the seven every week and then we add the next one. And that reminder, even if it's only once a week or I know he's reading it daily, that means they're seeing that value add and that passion intersection every time, every day, at least one time per day. And then starting to ingrain to look for that in their everyday life. So important. So important to see it in the present, in the now. My yes. clients and I exchange kind of a similar thing where I have them, we journal back and forth. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are, all of them have been very resistant in the beginning to it. Mm-hmm. They don't like to do it. But after several weeks, all of a sudden you have your words that you wrote yourself in front of you. And you talk about this a lot. I look at your Instagram about different, there are different practices that you talk about that you do religiously that you, you write. I don't know if you, I know you journal. I know you were doing morning pages for a while. I know that you meditate. I know that you practice all of these. And do you do this work with and encourage your clients to also do this? Absolutely. Yes. The importance to me, I see an, a difference in my personality and my temper when I don't do it. And it's awful. It's so negative. And it's just because I'm not focused on the positives anymore. It's almost like my default is to just kind of survive instead of dealing with the things that are in my head in a, in a positive way. There's always going to be times someone's going to cut you off on the highway or they're going to splash you when it's raining outside, whatever it is, right? Things don't go your way sometimes. And it's so easy to just be negative from there on forward. But when I get to journal it and write it down, there's no judgment. There's no one's going to overhear me at a restaurant. My friends aren't going to laugh at me. It's just me to me saying, you know what? Like that seems really ridiculous now that I wrote it down. Why am I so upset that I, that it's raining and I can't go for a walk. All right. We'll get an umbrella or something, right? There's always a solution. And so working with my clients, that's usually the story I lead with is that we have to stay positive and writing it down and being able to iterate on it is the way that we make things positive. It's not inherent to us necessarily, depending on how we're raised to make things positive because we're used to hearing about complaints. People are really good about talking about negatives and it's really hard to share positives because of jealousy. People get so jealous. So if you're not in a supportive space, like in your group, right? If you're not in that kind of space where you feel comfortable and confident sharing happy things, how lonely is it that you can only share negative things? Yeah, it is. And I think that's why I created, Sean's talking about my group, Pandemic Glow Ups, but I created that because 
It was such an important thing because I have, and I, I think a lot of you guys that listen to the podcast know I used to work in a restaurant and most of my friends at the beginning of COVID were people that worked in restaurants. And mm-hmm. if you've worked in a restaurant, you know, that environment can be pretty, pretty hell. I mean, it can be fun, but it also can be hell because people are doing yeah. a rote job and they're stressed <laughs> and they're being treated like shit by hungry people. And I mean, that's why nobody wants to work at those jobs anymore. I could go on about that all day. But what was happening was the pandemic happened and about half of the people that I know decided to move forward into a new mindset, into a new space, start creating a new reality. And the other half of the people I know stayed in victim consciousness and just stayed angry and stayed all of this. And Mm -hmm. I noticed when I would post on Facebook or when I was, because in in early pandemic, I was posting a lot of things on Facebook and a lot of people were really like, yeah, like this is great. But then after, you know, a couple of months, people really started getting angry and you could tell, and I was getting a lot of negative feedback and I was getting a lot of, and so I just stopped posting. And then I felt like I didn't have that community. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. like uh, nothing meaningful exists outside of discourse. Like Stuart Hawley is a communication scholar, but like it was that, it was like that. I wasn't having the discourse. I wasn't having it. So I started some group texts with friends and I want to stress how important that is to have a, a good support system. Sean is one of my good energy friends. Like Sean and I will re- like routinely reach out to each other and about mm-hmm. things. And you've yep. been so valuable to me because of that. And I have, I had a lot of use. I had like, I had not a lot, but I had like, I would say probably five to 10 people that I would consider having that good energy. And that's why I created my group. And I think a lot of people need to remember when like going back to what you were saying about the positives, that it's important to find a place to share positives. If somebody is yes. giving you negative energy, when you're sharing a positive, You got to distance yourself from that person. You have to, you don't have to stop being their friend. You don't have to stop loving them. You don't have to, but you have to, you have to find a place to share your positives. It you can't wallow. You have to share your positives. Absolutely. And it's a boundary of creating and saying, okay, well, if you're the negative friends, that's fine. There's going to be a time and a space for you, but it's not when I'm feeling positive and happy. I don't need you to tell me to wait for the other shoe to drop. I don't need to hear negative things when I'm really happy and positive. And if you can't be happy when I'm happy, then I understand that that's not a space that's okay for you. And you need to figure out what's going on with you. And this has more to do with you than me, whatever it is, create that boundary. And then now you can shift your direction, your energy and your effort to someone who's going to support you when you are right. And maybe that's also going to be the same person that supports you when you're unhappy or when you're struggling. And that's the energy that you're drawn to. That's just as valuable and important, but creating those boundaries and really having that set up for success It doesn't have to be, oh, I have to go and see so-and-so today. And man, this is going to be a struggle. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to do that. (laughs) You can have a life where that never happens. (laughs) You can. I'm glad you brought it up because I, that was the other part that I wanted to talk about and I hadn't actually naturally got around to it. But another big part of your work is boundary setting. And I've been noticing, (laughs) you know, you've been, you do a lot of posts about it. You guys can on Instagram, Sean's at living unbreakable or at live unbreakable, but, um, she does a lot of posts about boundary setting and the work that she does with clients on boundary setting. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And I can tie it into what we were just talking about too, about having those friends and maybe even diet culture. Right. So that's kind of where I realized my intersection, my passion was in the mindset space is 
when you have friends who are either always on diets or are, are, are putting you down and telling you like, you're not looking as good or, Hey, you know, COVID-19 really hits you, huh? all these other things. You can create a boundary where you no longer discuss those things or you don't eat around them or you don't go out for drinks with them. There's definitely a time and place for them in your life. And if they choose to walk out when you create that boundary, that's about them because boundaries are about keeping people in your life in a valuable way. And if they're not willing to be present for that way, then they were never present for you in the first place. They were just there. They were taking up space when somebody else more valuable and supportive for you and for them could enter, right? So the boundary work that I really started focusing on, and I'm so glad that you've seen these posts because I feel like sometimes I'm talking to an empty room, is I'm the- all, I'm always watching. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I, a lot of it actually had to do with conversations that you and I have had too about, you know, if you're in a space with someone relationship-wise, family-wise, and family is so hard to create boundaries with because they know, they've known you forever. So if you start to create a boundary and you're really building that boundary, it's change. And people are so scared of change because what does that mean for them? What happens when, you know, this boundary expands, whatever it is, but boundary setting is really about adjusting your true North and creating that one degree of separation every day or every interaction that gives you a more positive life. And it is so freeing. It's so empowering and it's so cool. <laughs> it is. It's so cool. And it is so it's difficult. It's difficult, especially yes. with family. You're so right. And I think then when you start to set the boundaries and people will, they remember older versions of you and that can be triggering, yes. but you have yes. to return to your why you have to return to knowing in your, in your heart, in your soul, who you are. And mm -hmm. if somebody doesn't know who you are anymore, that's on them. You know, it's not, absolutely. It's not, yes. That's yep. on them. They, yeah. they, you're beautiful person inside and out. You've been putting a lot of effort into yourself. And if other people can't recognize that it literally, and I know people will say this all the time and they just kind of, you know, <laughs> whatever to it, it has more to do with them than it does about you. They're still struggling with their past self too. And you've kind of moved on to this new iteration of yourself that is glow up. You got to glow up and they're not ready for that in their life. And that's okay. But then create that boundary. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm just like <laughs> beaming with joy. You guys cannot see my face. You will never see our faces because I have promised that I will never use the video for any of the podcasts <laughs> that I have ever recorded. Thank God, because right now I look homeless, guys. I'm telling you what. Same. Sean, oh, it's not great. You do not. You do not. She's, she's beautiful. Sean, I have to ask you, I have just one last question because we're coming to the end of the hour, but do you have any advice for anybody that may be listening that might be struggling with any of the things that we talked about today? Don't be afraid to communicate. That's my number one. It's even if you don't know what you want to say, just reach out with a, Hey, hi, something, you know, even stock a Facebook page or, you know, an Instagram page, reach out to Andy, start to have a conversation, reach out to me, ask me a question and we'll dig down deeper. You know, there's a reason that you sent a message. And if you can just do that, that little step that can seem so big sometimes that's, that's where it all starts hundred percent. It's just a high, it's just a wave. It's just something just so that we know that we can reach out. Even if it's not like a deep dramatic thing, maybe you're just like struggling today and you just wanted some support. Like, yeah, absolutely. Send me a long drawn out message about what happened today and why it sucks. Fine. Let's fucking go. But if you're really, really struggling and you want to work boundaries or you're interested in nutrition or you're just interested in being something different than you are right now, and you don't know what the future looks like, 
it all has to start with communication with yourself and with a coach. Absolutely. Reach out, reach out, reach out to Sean. Sean, where can everybody find you? Liveunbreakable.com or at livingunbreakable on Instagram. Um, I check my email, which is Sean at liveunbreakable.com literally pretty much every minute. So I'm always available. (laughs) That is amazing. Reach out to Sean liveunbreakable.com or yes, absolutely. She is so responsive. She has never ignored me or left me on red. So (laughs) Sean, it was an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Honestly, thank you so much. I'm always, I'm very much honored to be here and I love having you as a friend and a professional colleague. I have never felt so supported. So honestly, thank you for having me. Such an awesome conversation with Sean today on the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I'm going to be back next week, everyone, with another episode, solo episode next week. I was in a five-day intensive neurotransformational coaching course last week, and I learned a lot. And uh, so next week, I'm going to be back talking a little bit about that. So I do not have a guest. But if you guys would like to be a guest on the Get the Fuck Off podcast, if you have something that you want to talk about, share Looking for an audience, a supportive audience, because I love all of you guys and I love the support that I've received from my audience. Um, Any of you can feel free to reach out to me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com or you can visit me on my website, getthefuckoff.com, jump on my email list there. I send out content every week about this kind of stuff because I really just want to help everybody live their the best version of their life that they possibly can. And that looks different for everybody. So it's really, it's really awesome when people reach out. Until next week, guys, take care and be safe. And we'll see you back here next time.